Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we will cover cell-free fetal DNA screening for genetic aneuploidy in pregnancy. According to the American College of OBGYN, all women should be offered the option of aneuploidy screening or diagnostic testing for fetal genetic disorders regardless of maternal age. The choice of screening test is affected by many factors, including a desire for information before delivery, prior obstetrical history, family history, and the number of fetuses. Other factors to be considered include gestational age at presentation, the availability of a reliable nuchal translucency measurement, screening test sensitivity and limitations, the cost of screening the constraints of long-term care of an affected child, and the options for pregnancy care or termination for an abnormal diagnostic test result. No one test is superior for all test characteristics, and not every test is available at all centers. Each test has advantages and disadvantages that should be discussed with each patient, with the appropriate test offered based on her concerns, needs, and values. Screening for genetic conditions in pregnancy can occur in the first trimester with either nuchal translucency measurement alone or nuchal translucency combined with serum biomarkers. These serum tests include PAP-A protein and HCG in the first trimester. There are several options for genetic screens in pregnancy, starting with the first trimester. In the first trimester, screening can be done with nuchal translucency alone. This is done with ultrasound, usually between 10 and 13 weeks and 6 days. Or, nuchal translucency can be combined with serum tests in the first trimester. These biomarkers include PAP-A and HCG. In the second trimester, usually between 15 and 22 weeks, serum biomarkers can include the triple screen, which is HCG, AFP, and estriol, or the quad screen, which adds to the triple screen, dimeric inhibin A. Additionally, there's a combined approach called the integrated screen that takes first trimester and second trimester tests and integrates for a single result. There's also a stepwise sequential and a contingent screening. Both of these are ways of combining first with second trimester screens. Finally, there's a topic that we're going to cover today, which is cell-free DNA. This can be done as early as 10 weeks and can be carried out all throughout pregnancy, even into term. There is a detection rate for Down syndrome of up to 99% with a screen positive rate of 0.5%. Let's cover cell-free DNA in more detail. Cell-free DNA screening evaluates short segments of DNA in maternal blood and can be used to screen for a variety of fetal conditions. The fetal component of cell-free DNA is released into the maternal circulation primarily from placental cells undergoing apoptosis or programmed cell death and comprise anywhere from 3 to 13% of the total cell-free DNA in maternal blood. 
This amount increases throughout gestation and is cleared from the maternal circulation within hours after childbirth. Several molecular methods have been developed to analyze cell-free DNA for the purpose of aneuploidy screening and all appear to have similar detection and false positive rates, although direct comparison trials have not been performed between the various tests. Cell-free DNA screening can also be used to determine fetal sex to identify the presence of an Rh-positive fetus in an Rh-negative mother and to detect some paternally-derived autosomal-dominant genetic abnormalities. Screening can be performed as early as 10 weeks until term and offers the highest reported detection rate for Down syndrome, more than 98% detection with positive screening rates of less than 0.5% among women with a reportable result. The detection rate is lower for trisomy 13 and trisomy 18. Alright, now, because cell-free DNA is a screening test with a potential for false positive and false negative test results, such testing should not be used as a substitute for diagnostic testing. Remember, diagnostic testing for fetal aneuploidy is either amniocentesis or chorionic villi sampling in the first trimester. Based on cytogenetic confirmation, the positive predictive value or chance that a positive screening test is a true positive using cell-free DNA screening was 93% for Down syndrome and 64% for trisomy 18 and 44% for trisomy 13, and it was 39% for sex chromosome aneuploidy. Because the test usually cannot distinguish fetal DNA from maternal DNA, a positive screening test result could represent confirmed placental mosaism, a resorbing twin, or in rare instances, actually a maternal malignancy or maternal aneuploidy. Okay, now we have to understand what is meant about fetal fraction when we discuss cell-free DNA. The discrimination of euploid from aneuploid pregnancies with cell-free DNA screening is more effective with larger fetal fractions. At 11 to 13 weeks, the median fetal fraction of cell-free DNA in maternal plasma is about 10%. Factors contributing to low fetal fraction include sampling before 10 weeks of gestation high maternal body mass index, and fetal aneuploidy itself. Now, in some labs, cell-free DNA fractions less than 4% are considered too low to report a result, often referred to as a no-call result. Recent studies have demonstrated that low fetal fractions do indicate a high risk of aneuploidy. In one study of more than 1,000 analyzed samples, 8% failed to obtain a result, and 22% of those were aneuploid. Pregnancies that initially do not return a cell-free DNA test result because of low fetal fraction can be managed with repeat cell-free DNA or diagnostic test. However, if repeat cell-free DNA screening is performed, this may delay diagnosis of fetal aneuploidy, which may affect reproductive options for the abnormal result. To date, most published experience with cell-free DNA screening is based on studies conducted on high-risk populations, including women with advanced maternal age, defined as greater than 35. Data on the performance of cell-free DNA testing in the general obstetrical population is available, though. The sensitivity and specificity in the general obstetrical population are similar to the levels previously reported for high-risk populations. 
However, cell-free DNA screening cannot have the same accuracy in a low-risk pregnancy in young women because the positive predictive value is affected by the prevalence of the disorder in the population. So that's a clinical pearl. The positive predictive value is lower in the general obstetrical population because of the lower prevalence of aneuploidy in this group. In other words, in low-risk populations, there's a larger proportion of false positive test results among the patients who receive positive screening with cell-free DNA. This decrease in accuracy is especially concerning when pregnancy terminations have been reported in women who have positive screening tests for aneuploidy without a confirmation diagnostic test. Remember that all women with a positive cell-free DNA test result should have a diagnostic procedure before any irreversible action like a pregnancy termination is taken. Some women who receive a positive test result from traditional screening like a triple or a quad screen may prefer to have cell-free DNA screening rather than undergo definitive testing. This approach may delay definitive diagnosis and management and may fail to identify some fetuses with aneuploidy. Remember that cell-free DNA only checks for certain abnormalities, mainly trisomy 21, trisomy 13, trisomy 18, and the sex chromosome abnormalities. This approach can miss some of the other genetic defects if cell-free DNA follows traditional screening with an abnormal result. Additionally, even if cell-free DNA test results are a true positive, cell-free DNA cannot distinguish aneuploidy derived from a translocation or non-disjunction, and this will affect counseling and understanding of the recurrence risk. Women whose cell-free DNA screening test results were not reported or indeterminate or are uninterpretable, that's called a no-call test result, should receive further genetic counseling and be offered comprehensive ultrasound evaluation and diagnostic testing, once again, because of the increased risk of aneuploidy. Cell-free DNA screening currently gives information about the three most common aneuploidies, again, trisomy 21, 13, and 18, and about fetal sex, but does not typically provide information about other genetic aneuploidies. Alright, here's another last limitation, and it's a clinical pearl. Remember that cell-free DNA screening does not provide information regarding the potential for open fetal defects like spina bifida or omphalocele. Therefore, women who choose to undergo cell-free DNA screening should be offered assessment of open fetal defects with ultrasound, MSAFP screening, or both. All right, lastly, let's wrap up this podcast with a quick word about genetic screening for aneuploidy in multifetal gestations. In multifetal pregnancies, the risk of fetal aneuploidy is affected by the number of fetuses and the zygosity of the pregnancy. However, data regarding the risk of aneuploidy are more limited in multiple gestations compared with singleton pregnancies. In dizygous twin pregnancies, each fetus carries a risk of aneuploidy, generally similar to the mother's age-adjusted risk. But the mother carries an increased risk of having a fetus with aneuploidy because there's more than one fetus. Typically, monozygous twins will have the same carrier type with neither or both fetuses being affected. The risk of carrying aneuploid fetuses is similar to the mother's age-adjusted risk for monozygous twins. 
No method of aneuploidy screening is as accurate in twin gestations as it is in singleton pregnancies. Analysis of the risk and benefits of screening or diagnostic testing in women carrying multiple fetuses is much more complicated given the diminished effectiveness of screening and how the prenatal identification of a single aneuploid fetus might affect the pregnancy management. Diagnostic testing may be less acceptable to women with multiple gestations because of the increased difficulty and higher potential loss rate. Therefore, according to the college, because data generally are unavailable for higher order multiple gestations, annulate screening, that's serum testing, for fetal aneuploidy should be limited to singleton and twin pregnancies. All right, that wraps up our quick podcast on cell-free DNA screening for fetal aneuploidy in pregnancy. Data for this podcast was taken from the ACOG Practice Bulletin number 163, which was the last one on screening for fetal aneuploidy from May of 2016.